Hi, I'm David Freudberg. Each week at the Humankind on Public Radio podcast, we strive to practice the simple art of listening. At times, it can feel like a lost art in our noisy world. And of course, not everything is worth listening to. But for me, when I'm able to get centered, listening can be almost a sacred experience, a moment of focused attention that accords the speaker a measure of dignity. If you value this too, please help others to find our podcast. Consider going to Humankind on Public Radio at iTunes and leave us a kind review. And thanks for listening. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and a grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. It's saying everything you see is real to some extent, but there's something deeper beneath that, another reality that that is below your mind's good and bad, um, light and dark. So there's a world beyond the polarities. The ancient Chinese wisdom of Lao Tzu is refreshed for modern readers by a magnificent recent translation. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, is perhaps the most recognizable quote attributed to Lao Tzu, the ancient master of Chinese wisdom. His famous Tao Te Ching is a slim volume of 81 brief poetic passages compiled about 2,000 years ago. It brims with forgotten truths that will stop you in your tracks calm voice of sanity that our perplexed modern life cries out to hear again. Next to the Bible, Tao Te Ching is the world's most widely translated book. Almost anyone is sure to be rewarded by accompanying Lao Tzu on his long journey. For decades, it has captivated Jonathan Starr in Princeton, New Jersey. Well, I've been practicing yoga and uh, various forms of meditation for many years and um, I came across a what I thought was a beautiful version of the Tao by Jane English and Ji Fu Feng. The reason that version was so good it was it wasn't just a piece of paper. It was an experience. There were pictures, calligraphy, so you were kind of brought in into that world. Beautiful uh, black and white photography. Right. It's just the whole feel of it was it was well done. And so I'd read it with my girlfriend, and we'd try to get into the emotional quality of it. And um, I just started reading it. This was back maybe 20, 30 years ago. I was intrigued by it because I understood part of it, but a lot of it I just didn't understand. Kind of shrouded in mystery, isn't it? Yeah, it was this kind of mystical feeling, and I was trying to, like, really infuse it with emotions. But if you don't really understand something, it's hard to kind of synchronize it with the emotions. So the fact that I really couldn't understand it led me to... um, explore a little more. Live in accordance with the nature of things. Build your house on solid ground. Keep your mind still. When giving, be kind. When speaking, be truthful. When ruling, be just. 
When working, be one-pointed. When acting, remember, timing is everything. Dao De Jing is so rich in timeless insight, it drew Jonathan Starr back to reread and ponder it over and over again. The original text was in a very ancient Chinese dialect that long predates the Chinese spoken today. And the English translations varied, all bursting with meaning, some sounding over-formal, others more lyrical. But the problem was the different versions conveyed sometimes substantially different meanings. The more versions I got, the, the more it was like, wait, what is the Tao? What, what is it? And so it was clarifying in one way, but the confusion. So after I had a built up six Tao's, 10, 20, 30, 40. You read 40 translations. 40. You know, and then it was like, wait a second. So that was the process. I mean... But what drew you to it, even through these various doorways all leading to presumably the same thing? What what was the magnet? What was the draw for you? The same thing that pretty much motivated me for everything was like, what is the truth? What is this reality we're living in? Because I had been steeped in yoga at the time. I'd been, I probably was living in an ashram. And, um, you know, this this whole quest for what is the truth? Who am I? What is this universe? What is life? And so this book gave me some hint or some vision into that. Like these these sages who were describing this world, what where were they seeing it from? You know, we live our lives. Where are we living from? Where were these sages? So that was became um it was it wasn't a, an intellectual it was part of a spiritual quest. And the Tao seemed to be one of the earliest texts that I stumbled upon and felt there was something there. More like it was a hint. They never really told you. Like A lot of it sounded like Zen koans kind of pointing to the truth but never really you know, explicating it in a clear manner. Is that because the truth is by nature, mysterious and hard to be bluntly direct about? Well, that's the point. You know, I was trying to, my mind wanted to grasp onto some truth that I could, and that the whole Tao was kind of saying, hey, the very first line, you know, the Tao that can't be told is not the eternal Tao. I mean, right from the beginning, they were saying, hey, you're not going to get it. We're going to point you towards it. We're going to show you it, but you're not going to the mind wants to grab it. He wants something. You know, then I finally learned the Chinese. I really wanted to grab hold of the truth. And the mistake that we make is to to rely too much upon the mind, to do everything. The one thing it can't do is show us that reality which is beyond the mind, which cannot be codified by the mind. So what is the vehicle, the entranceway to the truth, if not through the mind? It's sort of through your being. It's sort of through your... We could say it's through your heart on one level, but the only way the truth can be known is to be the truth. You can't... The way to live life is to live life, not know about life. So it's a kind of a suspension of the mind. It's a kind of a primordial sense that you've always had. Before, you know, when you were a child, a young baby, you had this intimate connection with life. You didn't have to know it. You didn't have a mind. 
your essential being is already connected with life. So it's not about necessarily getting rid of the mind, but not relying upon the mind to get you where you already are. That's kind of the paradox that we live in. We're already one with the Tao, but we're always looking for it. It's kind of like a fish in the middle of the sea saying, where's the water? Right. It, it's taken for granted. You're one with it. You couldn't even be a fish if there was no water. But we're, And that's the, that's the path that most people are on. They're all constantly looking for what, you know, what is already here. And the, the thing is just to recognize what, what is already here. Jonathan Starr remained deeply fascinated by the powerful, enduring message expressed in Tao Te Ching, but he was never able to reconcile the confusing discrepancies found among the dozens of English translations he consulted. So Jonathan decided the only way to solve this puzzle would be to learn the ancient Chinese language, study the original text, and produce his own translation. It took him 12 years. But the fruit of this labor is a truly magnificent English version, for me the very most resonant one among many, many that I've read. Lao Tzu devotes a lot of his text to characterizing the behavior of someone who is sagely, who has wisdom. He comments that their power often lies in the discipline of self-restraint, of acting without ego. What, what is Lao Tzu teaching us here? Well, shall I read a quick verse on that? The masters of this ancient path are mysterious and profound. Their inner state baffles all inquiry. Their depths go beyond all knowing. Thus, despite every effort, we can only tell of their outer signs, deliberate, as if treading over the stones of a winter brook watchful, as if meeting danger on all sides, reverent, as if receiving an honored guest, selfless, like a melting block of ice, pure, like an uncarved block of wood, accepting, like an open valley. Um, I think he's trying to show us a, you know, a, a vision of of another possibility, another place from which we can live our lives, another human possibility. So perhaps uh, Lao Tzu was describing someone who's not only enlightened, but who has embodied that enlightenment, who has able to translate that enlightenment. I think that's what he was actually uh, looking at, someone who has embodied it and translated that Tao through into their own life. It's a flowing, beautiful it's a it's a wonder to see people like that, and when you're in the presence of it, it's uh, it's life it's life changing because it's a glimpse into a possibility that we ordinarily don't see, and that sometimes we may talk ourselves out of even believing is possible. That's where it becomes a problem because most people don't feel they're good enough, or they're not worthy enough, or they haven't done the right, or they don't have the right stuff. So that becomes a small and maybe a large impediment. 
Very few of us are able to see ourselves with great accuracy. Insecurities almost inevitably cloud the image in the mirror. We may undervalue our capacity for personal discovery and development, the very possibilities that animate human life and make it worthwhile. We are all capable of growing in self-awareness. The first thing is you need a bona fide desire. Most people don't want to wake up. They just, you know, if I offered you enlightenment or your world as it is, most people would take. So, you know, if you have the desire or the longing, you're already, that's the major shift that's already taken place. The block is a lot of people have, they don't think they're good enough. They don't think they're special enough for enlightenment. Enlightenment is your own nature. It's your own birthright. You're already living it. It's your own true self. Yeah, so a lot of people don't feel they're good enough or worthy enough. That's that's the first thing. You don't need to be any way to, you know, understand your own nature. You don't necessarily have to be a monk in India or a celibate or a vegetarian. You don't have to be any of that. If if that's natural to you, then fine, but that's not required. It really comes down to accepting yourself as you are, even with all your flaws at the beginning. So much of this philosophy is a study in contrasts and in opposites. Uh, As one verse put it, everyone recognizes beauty only because of ugliness. So what do we learn by paying attention to opposites? The mind thinks in opposites. This is good. This is bad. The world of duality, the world of polarity. And that's, that's a great way for the mind to function, to compare and contrast. But the Tao is essentially beyond that. It could be a subtle way to say, hey, embrace it all. The high is you, the low is you. The beauty is you. The ugliness is you. Two sides of the same coin? Yes. In other words, if I'm trying to grab only beauty, if I'm trying to only grab one thing, if the Tao is everything, and I'm trying to grab only the positive experiences, I'm going to try to run away from all my negative experiences. But that's a mistake because those negative experiences are also me. Pleasure is me. Pain is me. And so it's a very subtle teaching to embrace the parts that your mind and your ego wants to run away from. It's a very, no one wants to hear this. Your ego doesn't want to hear this. The strategy is let me just get the pleasure. The pain, I don't want anything. But it's the actual running away from the pain is the running away from yourself. You're the totality. And it's a very subtle teaching. It, you know, most people won't pick it up on that level. Uh, but it's a subtle call to embrace who you are in your wholeness. We're talking with Jonathan Starr, who has produced a masterly English translation of Tao Te Ching, the treasure of ancient Chinese wisdom by Lao Tzu. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information about Lao Tzu and to download an audio copy of this segment, The Way of Tao, please visit humanmedia.org.
Jonathan Starr first encountered the Tao Te Ching through a text rendered by Jafu Feng and the stirring nature photography of Jane English. For an earlier program on Lao Tzu's wisdom, I met Jane English, then living in Berkeley, California. Although Lao Tzu's book is about 2,000 years old, she found it freshly relevant to today's challenges. I think it's not only applicable, I think it's essential. It's what might save us. Because we're still, we're still in nature. We all have natural bodies. We come in nature. It's easy to forget that, that you know, the human being hasn't changed so much. And all this technology that's happened the last few centuries is, is just like a second in time. And the whole long history, the background, where we come from. I mean, Lao Tzu is fairly recent in terms of our evolution. So it's still, the wisdom then is still real wisdom for us now. I think the thing that's, that's real important right now is a synthesizing, of bringing together the, our ability to make distinctions, to separate things, to divide and define, which is what underlies technology. That's what we really need. That's what I learned in my training as a physicist, was how to make distinctions and how to be very precise and measure things and quantify things. What we need is a balance of that with this larger, more global sense of, of where all this comes from, the, the place that you can't name. Because he names, words are distinctions. They're separating. And that's why you can't name the one, the whole. I mean, we, even though we try to call it things like the one and the whole and the Tao, we all fumble around trying to name it. But we're aware of, of something that underlies, precedes, contains, or permeates all these little things that we talk about. There is no formal religion called Taoism. It's more a school of philosophy based on going with the flow of life, attaining a delicate balance as found in nature, following the heart. According to Jonathan Starr, the Taoist view emerged a few hundred years after the birth of Buddha. I think the Tao was written somewhere between you know, 200 B.C., somewhere to 200 A.D., sort of in that whole area. That's when, you know... Chuangzi and Confucius and a lot of the, the framework for the Chinese philosophy was, was laid out. So having studied this in depth, what's your answer to the riddle of who Lao Tzu was? Well, according to my clarity for whatever I reached, I, I thought Lao Tzu was just uh, a name given to you know, a compilation of different texts. I think there were probably several authors the whole thing was to try to give this text some legitimacy. They, they, they needed to have a name. They needed a sage. But my feeling is that it was probably several hundred years of compilation, you know. Are there other scholars who believe that there was an actual guy named Lao Tzu who walked around? Not too many. I mean, it's more like a, it's a nice little myth. The story is that he wrote it in one sitting that he was leaving the, the um, city and the gatekeeper wanted him to write. So he comes down from his ox cart and he spends two, three hours and he writes the whole thing. And that's just, you know, that's a bit of a fairy tale, but it's, you know, it makes for a nice picture. <laughs> I, I can't make a picture of, you know, 10 different sages where a text evolved over 200 years. There's no picture. I need, we want a nice, you know, we need a nice story. We need a picture. We need a sage. So. But no one, no one really takes it seriously. So this is a strange question, but does it, does it make a difference whether there was a single guy named Lao Tzu? 
No, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, um, it's a it's a it's a representation of the vision of the, that sages had during that time. The name Lao Tzu has been translated as simply old man, and the identity of the sage or sages who authored Tao Te Ching has disappeared into the mists of time. But one theme from the book that remains as topical today as when it was written millennia ago is the folly of politicians. Jonathan Starr, from his translation, quotes Lao Tzu's guidance on how leaders should govern. The great ruler speaks little, and his words are priceless. He works without self-interest and leaves no trace. When all is finished, the people say, it happened by itself. This is, this, so this is, this is a true selfless leader. When his intention is for true benefit, it's not about I did anything or vote for me. It's really about empowering people. They did it. We did it. It happened. And how many members of Congress today can really be described as selfless people? Well, they should all read the Tao. That should be, uh, uh, when they come to Congress, they should be a copy of their seats. But no, we're, we're in a completely different. This is more of a, you know, when you have to vote and there's money in politics, it's a completely different. But it, it was very intriguing when, when, when these sages were actually guiding. We're talking about the benevolent dictator. We're talking about a, a true kind of leader who truly has um, the self-interest of, Others doesn't really see a difference between him or herself and others. So there's a there's just this desire to serve selflessly, not to take. And so this whole world is given to us. The Tao is creating everything. It never says, "Can I get?" It's always giving. So when a leader embodies that truth, I wouldn't even say they're a leader. They're more like a friend, but they're they're. That's, that's the true kind of leadership that, that transforms. To become learned, gain daily. To obtain Tao, reduce daily. Reduce and reduce again until all action is reduced to non-action. Then no one is left. Nothing is done. Yet nothing is left undone. One who gives freely and without attachment gets a full life in return. One who gives with the secret hope of getting is merely engaged in business. Truly, they neither give nor receive any of the treasure from this world below heaven. a section that seems to me kind of the quintessence of Taoism. The most yielding thing in the world will overcome the most rigid. The most empty thing in the world will overcome the most full. Does that ring true for you? I think that in many ways, Taoism is a kind of a soft philosophy. It's not about you know, use your mind and intention and I can accomplish everything. It's definitely pointing us towards another part of our nature, which is soft, which is fluid. 
I think to me actually that is one of the, the, the hallmarks of what Taoism is, is about this softer approach to life, this bending approach as opposed to a hard steel, you know, uber masculine approach to, you know, things. So there is a there is a certain feminine quality to that. The idea is the honoring of water as an element, how it wears away rocks over time. There's a certain softness. And a kind of patience built into the process that abruptly uh, overpowering something uh, maybe in some cases really is called for. But there are many other times when the gradual patience of love conquers all. It's, it's really a, a quite in, in tune with what, what is emerging now in the West. This is from verse 76. When life begins, we are tender and weak. When life ends, we are stiff and rigid. All things, the grass, the trees, while living are soft and pliant, in death are dry and brittle. So the soft and supple are the companions of life, while the stiff and unyielding are the companions of death. An army that cannot yield will suffer defeat. A tree that cannot bend will crack in the wind. Thus, by nature's own decree, the hard and strong are defeated, while the soft and gentle are triumphant. Kind of the opposite of our macho warrior approach. Exactly. Even to even this uber masculine approach to spirituality about meditating ten hours a day, and you know, it, it's definitely a whole other. It's not comfortable for a lot of people who are used to this. You know, you, this mental approach of intention, which has got us a lot of great things in the West. This whole you know, the whole revolutions and computer and industrial revolution. But it can't get us to the, to the, and it can't get us, you know, beyond that physical dimension. Only this soft, gentle heart, heart approach can. We can't control our way to that which is beyond control. No, we, we have to, it's more of acceptance. It's more of an allowing than a, than a, a imposition of our will. And again, no one, <laughs> this is the hardest thing for, you know, the ego wants to do it. They want to, they want to meditate. They want a method. They, it's very, very uh, dis, disconcerting for someone who's so used to that approach and so successful with a mental orientation towards life. Let me ask you to read uh, one last passage from your brilliant translation into English of the ancient Chinese text, Tao Te Ching, from verse 50. Again and again, men come in with birth and go out with death. One in three are followers of life. One in three are followers of death. And those just passing from life to death, also number one in three. But they all die in the end. Why is this so? Because they clutch to life and cling to this passing world. I hear that one who lives by his own truth is not like this. He walks without making footprints in this world. Going about, he does not fear the rhinoceros or tiger. 
entering a battlefield, he does not fear sharp weapons. For in him the rhino can find no place to pitch its horn, the tiger no place to fix its claw, the soldier no place to thrust his blade. Why is this so? Because he dwells in that place where death cannot enter. Jonathan Starr, who spent 12 years studying ancient Chinese and has rendered a superb translation of Lao Tzu's masterpiece of wisdom known as Tao Te Ching. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart Rose. Editorial assistance from Ken Rogers, Kathy Graham, Mark Kilstein, and Bond Collard. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Laura Carlo, David Hopkins of the Princeton University Broadcast Center, and to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This segment, part one of The Way of Lao Tzu, is Humankind Program number 229. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org, and at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.